Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Got Guts, a podcast of the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology. Joining us today are Editor-in-Chief, Professor Mark Fry, and Senior Author, Dr. Rhonda Souza, of the recently published manuscript titled, A Human Barrett's Esophagus Organoid System Reveals Epithelial Mesenchymal Plasticity Induced by Acid and Bile Salts. So let's talk guts. Over to you, Professor Fry. Well, good morning. Thank you, Jamie, and welcome to Got Guts, Rhonda. I'm delighted to have you here. We've known each other for years, but I've never actually sat down and done a formal interview with you. So here you are. I, it's my understanding that you love this kind of thing. So, oh, uh, yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> thank you, Mark. And thank the journal for inviting me to talk to you about our recent paper today. And so in fact, we... I hate doing these things. So I know. Gentle, I know. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we start off then by just having you tell us a little bit about the project and the paper? I I usually tell authors that we just want to hear the elevator pitch here that is going to get listeners to rush out and download and read your paper the minute they're done listening to the podcast. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we we undertook this project because at least from a clinical GI perspective, a lot of patients with Barrett's esophagus with dysplasia are getting ablated. So the blowing away the disease and the problem that's great. And it's getting rid of the dysplasia. You don't have to go for esophagectomy. The problem is, is that it recurs and it recurs essentially within the, uh, within one to two years after you see the highest rate of recurrence. The reason it recurs is really not clear. And people think that perhaps it's due to intestinal metaplasia that is being buried after the procedure. So you blow away the surface, it re-epithelializes, this is with squamous mm-hmm. epithelium, but deep down underneath uh, lies below these subsquamous intestinal metaplastic glands that over time can then come up to the surface. The other issue with the subsquamous is that we do surveillance to, to detect dysplasia so we can prevent patients from getting esophageal adenocarcinoma. That strategy has not really been shown to really uh, prevent cancer deaths. So it's not clear why undergoing surveillance routinely is not having an impact on cancer deaths. And so it's thought that perhaps maybe this subsquamous intestinal metaplasia, which has been found even before you ablate the Barrett's, might be the nidus for those cancers that develop, even though you're undergoing surveillance, because you can't see it. Mm-hmm. It's below the squamous. You can't biopsy it. You can't surveil it, survey it. And maybe that's what is giving rise to those, those cancers. So what we did is we've shown previously that subsquamous intestinal metaplasia, the Barrett's epithelial cells, when they're injured by acid and bile, undergo EMT allowing them to dive deep into the stroma. And we did this using animal models where columnar cells were diving in the stroma, epithelial cells in organotypic culture were diving in the stroma. But we wanted to see if human Barrett cells that were not immortalized and not cell lines could do the same thing. So we took biopsies from our patients. We uh, put biopsies directly into matrigel or layered them uh, in monolayer and collected the epithelial cells and then stuck them in matrigel. We optimized the growth media for these Barrett's organoids, and then we made sure we fully characterized them just to ensure that they did develop uh, the Barrett's Mm -hmm. phenotype. There's a lot of papers that have done, not a lot, I would say like maybe two or three that have done Barrett's organoids, and they've been characterized, but not very extensively. So we wanted to make sure what we had for Barrett's were Barrett's, and then we treated them with acid and bile. 
and we watch the the Barrett cells in or in organoid culture undergo these finger-like protrusions, so sort of spreading out into the matrigel. They they uh, downregulated their E cadherin from the membrane; it was cytoplasmic, and they reorganoid re organized their actin cytoskeleton within the organoid, um, another phenotype of your finger-like projection. So we could see them undergoing EMT in culture. The other really cool thing we did is then we took the organoids at like day five when they were more spheroid, so very uh, immature. And then we did them at day 16 where they underwent differentiation and were very mature and actually had organoid phenotype, not spheroid phenotype. And we only found that the spheroids at day five when we exposed them to acid and bile, underwent the EMT and not the fully differentiated, suggesting that it is the stem cell compartment and the immature cells that are undergoing the epithelial mesenchyme transition, making the finger-like projections and diving underneath, you know, into the lamina propria. So I think it's important to figure out where this thing comes from in order for us to figure out strategies to prevent this from happening. So in theory, when you have a patient who's gonna undergo Barrett's ablation, if there's an agent we could give them either before they're ablated or after they're ablated that would prevent the, the columnar cells from diving, you might be able to destroy more of them and prevent the recurrences that happen after ablation. So that would have, that's a trans, translational spin. Yeah, outstanding, outstanding. And it's it's one of the things I really loved about the paper was that it's both this sort of conceptual advance in understanding of, of how this uh, intestinal metaplasia is working here, but also what, maybe this is my naivete as being someone who's mostly only worked south of the pyloric sphincter, but uh, it, it really seems like a big technical advance uh, in esophageal culture systems as well, because that's been a hard nut to crack for the on the human side of things. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And we, uh, in the beginning of it, we used those cell lines to optimize yeah. a couple of different medias that have been proposed in the literature. And I mean, it should have been clear to us and much more obvious in the beginning that the one that has wind, since mm -hmm. Barrett's has LGR5, that the media with the wind was the better one for the Barrett stem cell. But you know, there's been so much bantering around about the Barrett stem cell yeah, and where it comes know. from and yeah. what it is, you don't know. You've actually got to do the experiment, yeah, which yeah. you guys then which did. Which we did. So, yeah, so terrific, yeah. And I, I actually, I, you, you know, you, you set up at the top that you are that you don't enjoy these interviews, but you're, I have to say you're really good at them. The passion you have for the work is coming through. And I, I love the way that you're describing the work almost as some kind of Hitchcockian high-tension film here right you know it's lurking beneath the so you don't see it but it's there it. <laughs> it's, a, it's like it's like a monster movie it's the Loch Ness monster lurking right. beneath the surface right. of the lake what lies below I think that was a movie right right what lies right. below right right, yeah. right exactly <laughs> so you know that clearly brings out your enthusiasm for your work here and one of the things we do like to talk to our guests about is how did they get here and how did they get other than the fact that the intestinal tract is the most interesting organ in the body, hands down, uh, how did, how did, I get, how did, I how did get you here? get here? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, could you give us that, uh, get, tell us your story about, you know, young Ron D'Souza who eventually ends up being you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Boy, it's been a long time since I've seen young Ron D'Souza, <laughs> except in my head, right? Um, no, you know, I never thought I would actually be in a lab. I thought I was going to be a straight off clinician 
And when I started training in internal medicine, uh, that was my goal. And in fact, when I was an intern, I met Stuart Speckler, who's been my long-term scientific partner now. This has been our 30th year together. Uh, and at the time, he was my role model. And I thought, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be more of a clinical investigator. I always knew I was going in academics, but I'm going to be a clinical investigator. I, I went through residency. I got into GI fellowship. I started being on call. The beepers going off left and right. And I had no time to think about the GI tract, about pathophysiology. And as a medical student, I loved ulcer disease. I was a medical student a long time ago where ulcer disease was still hot. It wasn't all H. pylori. We, I don't think we even knew about H. pylori when I was a medical student. So sort of acid secretion was really my thing. I thought this is great. It was before so, the before the mad Australian swallowed H. pylori on swallowed the, the H. pylori the experiment on himself. Yeah, it was all it was all acid secretion. And that was the you know, that was the holy grail. So I'm in GI fellowship and I was like, OK, this is not what I thought in my head that I wanted to do. And I was a clinical GI fellow. I was not a research fellow. So at the time, my chief of GI at University of Maryland was Steve James. And I went into his office and my uh, mentor during fellowship was Steve Meltzer. And uh, Steve and I asked Dr. James if I could switch from the clinical track to the research track. There is no GI fellow that ever switches from the clinical track to the research track, except me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Steve James has loved me ever since because I'm probably the only one mm -hmm. in history. Everybody goes the other way. They get on the research right. track and right. they're like, I'm out of here. But right. I went they the other way. Mm -hmm. And luckily, my program could accommodate it. And then I went in the lab with Steve. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so here I am. Uh, after, after being with Steve, uh, Stu Speckler had moved to Dallas, and he had this mm -hmm. you know, wonderful faculty job. And he just called me up and said, I have a job for you. Here it is and come. And so Mm -hmm. And I've yeah. been here ever since. So, so we should we should really at some point talk offline about how we can clone this process and get more GI fellows to to do that retrograde transport to to research. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's really necessary. The uh, the the collaboration between clinician scientists and basic scientists is uh, becoming all too rare. But actually, you and Stu pull it off very well. Could you talk a little bit about what it's like to really have that sort of dual PI group with, you know, with the sort of whole spectrum of focus from clinical treatment to basic science? Yeah, it's really cool. And in fact, I'm so happy to have that because, I mean, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to know, this process is so grueling. It is so grueling. You're getting beat down all the time, right? At least I have somebody get that's getting beat with me so we can go into a room right and we can talk about it and we can complain and mm -hmm. we know each other you know what it's like and stuff so at least we're doing it together and we're not this island onto ourselves this whole mm -hmm. you know independent is is we, we should always talk about that at some time everybody always feels like they have to be independent and independent doesn't necessarily mean an island onto yourself you're not going to be a squamous mm -hmm. island in a barrett's epithelium Right. right. You right. can have <laughs> right. You can have in, independence. Independence and isolated are two different things. That's exactly right. You can have independent thought process. You can drive. So what Stu and I do is some of the basic projects. I'm the lead. I drive. If it becomes a little bit more clinically oriented, he drives and, and you know, I'm the co-pilot. And mm -hmm. so depending on the project, one of us will take the lead. 
Um, yeah. We have other projects now that are that are even a little bit more basic stuff that I don't do. And so we have a collaborator who's even more on the basic side mm -hmm. and she kind of drives a little bit. And then he and I provide the translational clinical spin. Great. So Great. it's so nice to, to have somebody to, to do this with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a terrific model that it's um, of it's, it really seems like a terrific model that works for you and a few other labs. And, right. it, it, you know, it. You, you should you should probably think about giving a class and how to pull this and off. how to pull this off. I mean, yeah. you just have to trust you, you. You have to have long term and then trust each other and, right. and realize right. that, you know, nobody is going to do anything that would harm the other in any way, mm -hmm. you know, and, and career wise. And then he promotes me. And at times I can promote him in different audiences. And so there's that whole mm -hmm. mutual it's a mutual respect that yep. we each bring, yep. you know, to the table. Great. So terrific. All right, so it's it's five o'clock Friday, and can, the can last. Can we hold oh, on yeah. a minute because the other half of my team says one quick question, even though he knows I'm podcasting. Hi, Stu. Hi, Mark says. Mark says hi, Stu. Oh, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt. The hold on. Yeah, you're interrupting. You're interrupting. <laughs> you hear him now? Hey. You can blame me. All right. <laughs> I, I I will, Stu. I will. Yeah, oh I'm so God. sorry. I didn't think. <laughs> I told you. No I'm worries. Important. You guys came to pick up this computer because Bonnie. Yes, yes. Is, but do we need? Is that? No, that's in the drawer. That's her computer. She's been doing this a long time. Sorry. She knows. Sorry. Very she good. knows. She knows what she's doing. Go back to your. Go back to your office. Okay. I promise not to interrupt again, Mark. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Nice. Nice to hear from you. Nice to hear from you. Oh, okay. oh yeah, nice. To, yeah, sure. Not not so nice to hear from you. All right. Oh my God. So remember how we talked about how well this works? Right. Clearly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't work so well at all, did it? Well, there's always a certain amount of uh, uh, awkward jocularity, right? <laughs> so Jamie, we'll cut out the whole Doctor Speckler visiting us. Oh, I, I don't know. That was actually pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, as we just talked about how how wait how well this works. The man. <laughs> What's going on with the computer? Who is this taking our computer? It's like perfect timing for. <laughs> All right, so oh so it's it's five o'clock on Friday, and the last organoid is back in the incubator, and the lab is heading out in Dallas. Where are they going? Uh, where are we going to go? Okay, so I just learned because a lot of the younger members of the lab mm -hmm. are vegan or vegetarian. There's mm -hmm. a, a spiral diner and bakery. Okay. Everything on there is vegan approved, vegetarian approved, and all sorts of uh, very good options, which smelled really good when we picked mm -hmm. it up. Mm -hmm. Since we're in Dallas, of course, there's going to be steak. Steak right. is abundantly everywhere. A uh, new place in town called The Knife. In fact, we have reservations for uh, next Tuesday, Dr. Speckler, Dr. Cryer, who you may know from GI, uh, mm -hmm. and another guy in town, Dr. Schmidt. We're all going to go out and just kind of celebrate and talk about research and all that stuff at the knife mm -hmm. um glorious i don't know if uh, you have a glorious which is going to be um mexican and like guatemalan flavored food oh. good mm -hmm. margaritas uh -huh. nice yeah very good best frozen margaritas in town okay and then okay. up up north uh also i like uh, minas it's a mom and pop little organization really good uh, Mexican food, but a, a family organization. They also have really good margaritas. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, great. Gin and tonics are made at my house. My husband makes the best gin and oh, tonic. Okay, ever. then. All right, outstanding. Good. Yes. 
Good. So it's a, so 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 there's a lot of great food in Dallas. Then that's a, that's not it's not something that is normally talked about, at least outside the boundaries of Dallas. No, I'm uh, under. We, I think my we, understanding a lot is, of a lot of us tend to think of cowboy hats and who shot Jr. Who shot Jr. Jr. So, no, yeah. I think there's more restaurants per capita in Dallas than there is in New York City. Wow. Huge foodie place. Huge. Yep. Dal- well, Dallas, Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Good. Good. Well, that's. That's that's an incentive to come visit sometime. Oh, well, I was going to say, you, we do need to have you here and take you out for some good dining. <laughs> There's actually good seafood here in Dallas, too. Who would have thought? Huh. You know, because okay. I grew up in Boston, right? Who would think that right. Dallas would have seafood? But it's all from the Gulf. Okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. And, well, and a lot of places that are just far enough away from the water seem to have really good seafood, good seafood. because it, it gets iced quickly and shipped quickly. Mm-hmm. I remember there being great sushi in Nashville when I lived there, which surprised the heck yeah. out of me. Yeah, I but totally agree with you. Who, who would think sushi yeah. in Nashville? Right. Cool. All right. So other than steak and margaritas, what do you like to do to, to let off steam when you're not in the lab and not in the clinic? Um, so I'm pretty boring. So I do like to go to the gym. Okay. Do spin class. That's really good for letting off steam. Um, and I have a trainer. And on Saturdays when I meet my trainer, we also do some boxing. So there's nothing that feels more empowering than putting on gloves and beating up your trainer. Now, my trainer used to play pro football okay. <laughs> for the Washington Redskins, which is now what the Washington football team, right? So he's a big dude. And I get to beat him up in the park on Saturdays. And which I feel really good about that. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's hard to imagine feeling tense at all after getting to do that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm wiped out. And then I nap. So I like to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then I nap. I, I'm, I'm a little bit older. So after I box and beat up my trainer, then I have to nap. And other okay. than that, you know, some movies. Mm-hmm. I like to read. I'm not a hiker. I'm not, you know, I'm not an outdoor biker. It's kind of hot in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I like yeah. to sit by the pool and I read articles. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I'm well and, and, read in the summertime. Outstanding. And Jamie, note to self: at the next physiology summit, when when a when a fight breaks out in a bar, we want Rhonda on our side. I'll bring I'll bring my pink. <laughs> I have pink boxing gloves. I of have God. pink. Of course I do. Of course you do. <laughs> of course I do. Do you have special boxing glasses as well? Because you've always got the most fashionable glasses. Yes, uh, I, I usually have that. my sunglasses on because we're outside okay. in the park. Okay. Okay, so I got that's... my big old white sunglasses, my pink boxing gloves, a bright yellow shirt that says suck it up, buttercup, and I'm beating up my trainer. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I, somehow I imagine that going forward, the Q&A sessions when Rhonda gives talks at meetings are going to be a lot more uh, circumspect in, in, in how aggressive the questioning is. <laughs> And I'll also tell you that Dr. Speckler has joined me with boxing gloves with the trainer. And so there's, so I have some nice photos of me knocking them out. Okay. So we, you know, okay. We can, again, what, this is what, how that what works. What color are his boxing gloves? He's got the black ones. He's got the black ones. Okay. But still a suck it up buttercup shirt, right? Yeah, that's it, right. And since I knocked him out, he needs to wear the pink ones next time. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't. Do, hopefully he won't listen to this. We should be good. <laughs> I'll send him a copy, <laughs> especially after that computer interruption. And then, and then, I, I guess you talked about this a little, but I, I, I ask everyone. So, what is the best uh, consolation dinner for you after a, a, 
a paper is rejected or a grant gets a crappy score? Uh, is it steak and margaritas or do you have something special that you like to? <sighs> That's after the gym, because otherwise I'm so, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, it's probably going to, well, it's, yeah, no, it's probably going to be either um, margaritas, gin tonic, wine, and like a big old piece of cake or cupcake. Okay, good. There was at least some food in there somewhere. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then here's, and then here's the follow-up. Is it the same thing when you get the 1% score and your paper is accepted or Uh, is it something different? as we recently got a 2% score. Oh, congratulations. Yes, congratulations. Both, both on our grant that we did together. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonight will be gin and tonics. My husband's making gin and tonics at my mm-hmm. house for the both of us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if there's going to be pastry involved, but there could okay. be. Okay, all right. All right, gin and tonic with cupcakes. That's With cupcakes. That's, that's quite the celebratory. <laughs> I'm not even sure what to call it. So, well, congratulations on the score. Thank that's. You. Yeah, That's we're excited. News. Yeah, yeah we're, now Good. we have to do the well, project. We, we look, yeah, exactly. And yeah, we look right. forward to seeing the manuscript that comes oh, yeah. out of that at AJP. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that in there. Yeah, of Sorry. course you did. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so um, what do you think is next in, I guess this is a, per, that, that's a perfect segue, is what do you think is the next big thing in modeling Barrett's esophagus and understanding the things we don't know about it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I uh, so I think well clinically in Barrett's esophagus, the next big big thing is going to be this real push for risk stratification mm-hmm. um, on your non-dysplastic Barrett. So who's going to go to cancer and who's not? And I think the fact that we blow it away, the whole focus on progression to cancer, I think from a research perspective, mm-hmm. one of the reasons we we we've kind of changed our focus is because you are blowing it away. So people don't really need to worry about how does high grade go to cancer? How does low grade go to cancer? Mm-hmm. Cause we're blowing it away. Now the issue is how come it's coming back and now we have to blow it away again. So I think the next mm-hmm. be- biggest thing for people with non-dysplastic is a way to risk stratify them. So who needs to be surveyed and who needs versus who needs to be blown away at the non-dysplastic stage to prevent them mm-hmm. from going to cancer. Okay. And then I think the other and thing, can, like you, can you just, talk- uh, oh, again, again, super naive. Can you just keep blowing it away over and over again? Is So, or does, so you can, but the complications of the way we do it is you more get a, more a more strictures, difficult. you get okay. esophageal strictures. And that seems to be one of those like limiting Mm-hmm. factors on how many times you can blow mm-hmm. it away. Okay. So when it does recur, people can go in and get and, and you know, blow it away again, but you right. get strictures. But, so but really uh, cutting back on that is important. Yeah. Right. Okay. So other ways to blow it away. So now it's mm-hmm. this radio frequency ablation. So it's hmm. um, microwave energy that really just explodes the cells. Um, there's also cryoablation where you mm-hmm. kind of freeze and you freeze the cells and then they, you know, then they get blown away. But if there's other ways agents to maybe target the Barrett cells that have gone bad that are going to progress to cancer, so maybe some pharmacologic agents, Mm -hmm. or maybe like we were talking about, if we can give a therapy before we blow it away to prevent the the intestinal metaplasia from recurring, in theory, if you could blow it away once and never have to go back and worry about it coming back, I mean, that would be your holy grail, Mm -hmm. right? One and done. Right. You know, blow it away and be done. Right. Find 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 definitive markers for the metaplasia and be able to target and, it. Yeah. And tar- exactly, yeah. and target yeah. it. And That's one cool. of our other grants you haven't seen yet, uh, we're playing with a pharmacologic agent mm-hmm. that will target uh, the redox function of APE1. Mm-hmm. And 
that's been used in clinical studies now that's pretty safe. So we're trying to figure out if by targeting APE1 that mm-hmm. we can target um, actually HIF1 alpha, which seems to be playing a role. This is oh, all, okay. all okay. unpublished stuff, but we're playing with that pharmacologic agent to see if that might be something that could uh, help prevent the Barrett's from diving and perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, uh, increasing the opportunity for us to be able to get to get all of the Barrett's blown away and not allow it to dive and protect itself. Terrific. Terrific. So. Oh, that's, Things, that's you know, fun. That's upcoming exciting. Att- trailers. It's like a trailer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Upcoming like, attractions. <laughs> in, in a time when Barrett's esophagus oh. kept recurring. Yes. <laughs> in a laboratory in yes. Dallas, Texas. <laughs> I can see it now like Star Wars, the thing coming up. Right, on right. Very nice. Jamie, Jamie, do you have anything you want to ask? I've been uh, I've been asking all the questions here. Yeah, I have a question. Um, how how did you feel about joining the Got Guts podcast series? Uh, it was way better than I was anticipating. I thought, oh, this is going to be a horrible thing. But I was comfortable because I knew it was Mark. So I knew it was going to be fun. Um, we, we try to be fun. No, you're totally <laughs> fine. Sometimes, sometimes I, we succeed. And I knew it was you and I knew it was going to be fun. So good, good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. How can yeah. you say no to the editor of, you know, GI liver and physiology, man? You can't say no. I, I, Nobody I, in their right mind would say exactly. That. That's that's what I say every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic! This has been a wonderful conversation, and thank yeah. you for subjecting yourself to to this interview. Um, we've we've enjoyed having you a lot. It's it's been great. Thank you for that. I even had to and, pre-read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, and, what did I, like, what did I publish? <laughs> yeah, and congratulations on the wonderful paper that we were all. Pro- Probably reading at about seven thirty this morning. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Good. Yes. Because, <laughs> because you know, I read these things when they come out, and then we the, the podcast is a few weeks later, and I'm like, uh, I got to make sure that I get this right. Yeah, me too. Because I was, I, I've already been on to two other papers, right? In other right. Areas, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, I was like, and it all. What, what yeah. did I publish? I better right. pre-read. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> oh, all right. And the, oh, one other thing, well, yeah. if we can figure mm-hmm. out a way to fit it in. So our, the co-first authors. Yeah. One is a PhD basic science Mm -hmm. and the other is a MD translational investigator. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. they're both young, younger in their careers, Mm -hmm. well, younger within their careers. So our goal is to team them up and they have a nice Ah. grant together as Mm -hmm. a PhD MD team. Right. And of course, you know, we needed to get them to, this was, they did this, you know, with me hawking over them. But mm-hmm. this was a nice way to get my PhD scientist to hook up with another MD-oriented right. clinician to do a translational project. Right. Oh, so that's, that's great. Yeah. It's a mentor. This was also a mentorship mm-hmm. uh, paper as and, well. And, and, you, and you are in some ways trying to build another Rhonda and Stu team there almost. Trying. So that's trying to trying to clone the success. That's We're great. trying to clone it because that's what everybody really needs to team together to address right. these, right. you know, translational questions mm-hmm. for patients. So, yep. Fantastic. Great. Good. All right. Is there anything you wanted to tell us about that we didn't bring up? Oh, my God. You covered everything. <laughs> A little too thorough, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much and uh, enjoy your weekend coming up and enjoy thank the celebration you. that uh, with your gin yeah, and tonics. With our gin and tonics. My husband is on alert. We already and we made sure we got limes. We are good. Thanks, Mark. Thank great. you, Jamie. Okay. Thanks, Rhonda. Bye, you guys. Have a great yeah. weekend. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Bye. 
Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology, and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the AJP GI and Liver Physiology's homepage.